If you listen to this podcast and follow what we do at Troutbitten, then you're a thoughtful angler, and you don't accept the status quo simply because that's how it's always been done. Squall of Fishing designs and creates fly fishing apparel with this same philosophy. Squalla was started by a group of lifelong fly anglers who spent their careers working for some of the biggest names in the outdoor industry, and they understood that essential fly fishing apparel like waders, jackets, sun gear, and insulation could simply be better. So now, Squalla makes gear for us, the like-minded few, serious anglers who don't take themselves too seriously. Check them out at squallafishing.com. Water is essential for life, but for Orvis, it's the blood of the brand. Orvis has been the leader in fly fishing since 1856. No other brand can match the explorative and innovative spirit they bring to the water today. Everything at Orvis is about inspiring and empowering adventure and wonder in nature. Rooted in the vitality of fly fishing, fueled by passion and curiosity for the outdoors, Orvis designs and develops products and experiences providing the knowledge and expertise to enable more meaningful moments and connections in nature. With over a century and a half of experience in the field and on the water, Orvis seeks to ignite that passion in others. This is the Trout Bitten Podcast. Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten? Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten? Yeah, Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten. It's about trout. Wild trout. This is Trout Bitten. This is the Trout Bitten Podcast, and thank you for tuning in. My name is Dominic Swintoski. I am the owner of Trout Bitten and the author of Troutbitten.com. So to everyone out there listening, welcome to the Winter Fly Fishing Skills Series. This is Season 6 of the Trout Bitten Podcast. And let me explain how this season goes. It's now been a year and a half since the Trout Bitten Podcast began. And something we do a little differently than most other podcasts is to break things down into seasons. There are two formats for these seasons. First, in the spring and the fall, I have my full panel of Trout Bitten friends. Those episodes are about an hour long, and we cover a variety of topics that change each week. Some are technical. Others are about sharing stories and experiences, or they are some commentary on the fly fishing world. In season seven, by the way, we'll start adding a few interviews to the mix as well. Those main seasons in spring and fall are longer, and they have about a dozen episodes in each. Now, the second format for the Trout Bitten podcast happens in the winter and the summer. That's the skill series format. Uh, that's what we're starting here. It's a full series about fly fishing in the winter months. Last winter, we did the nine essential skills for tight line and Euro nymphing. And last summer, we did the three styles of dry dropper. Uh, the episodes in a skills series are tightly packed with information, with less storytelling and conversation. These end up to be about a half hour long. And there aren't as many episodes in a season. Also in these skills series episodes, I do not have my full panel of friends. It's just me and Austin Dando working through the tactics. Hey now. Hey now. <laughs> <laughs> so we really love both of these formats for a podcast, and it's been a good decision to break things up from the beginning. Having the Trout Bitten podcast divided into these seasons gives us a little time off between seasons with a chance to regroup and to keep things fresh. And by having the skill series format, it gives us a chance to really dig into just one topic. I don't think you can find that anywhere else. So here is my friend and co-host for this season, Austin Dando. Austin is arguably the most well-rounded of all my fishing friends. And I, I know some pretty good dudes. <laughs> Aside from the trout fishing, uh, Austin hunts a little, does some rock climbing, plays guitar, is handy with home improvement, brews beer, and he drinks it. Does that sound about right, Austin? Oh, man. Will that be cash or check, Dom? <laughs> <laughs> cash. <laughs> Those aren't all your skills. Nah, that's the short list. That's the short. <laughs> <laughs> what else? You want to brag a little? Uh, yeah, why not? Uh, you know, I do a little bit of photography. I do a little bit oh, of yeah. woodworking. Good uh, point. Thank you. Do you feel yeah. slighted that I left those things out? 
A little. I, I do feel bad about the photography angle. Austin, seriously, in fact, Austin adds a ton of fantastic photography to the, uh, to the website, and I thank you for that. You're welcome. <laughs> hey, dude. <laughs> hey, so you, uh, no, you texted me the other day that you and Paige, your wife, are yep. planning a trip to Norway. Yeah. I yeah, wanted we, to uh, ask you about that. Sure. Why Norway? Well, so the last vacation we took was sort of all of my planning, and we went back to Missoula, Montana, and, um, you know, we did a bit of a Western tour, and we agreed yeah. that the next vacation, you know, she would sort of take, you know, the preference on, and she really wants to go to Norway, which is fine mm. with me, yeah. and then maybe uh, uh, bop over to Italy as well, which is cool. So we're looking at traveling into Oslo, flying to Oslo, and uh, from there, go up north and then make our way back down south. And we don't really know anything about Norway other than no. its beautiful countryside and yeah. things like that. So we're, we're trying to plan that for hopefully the springtime here. We're going to book tickets. And then uh, we also would like to fish for, you know, at least a day or two and, uh, you know, experience some of that. It looks like there's some really good uh, trout fishing and grayling and maybe some char <laughs> too. So yeah, I'm hoping to get into something. Nice. That's why you got in touch with me. You said, hey, do you know anybody from Norway? If people yeah. got in touch with and I do, I've. I have. I've had uh, people get in touch with me from kind of all over the world by this okay. point. Uh, right. But in but I looked for Norway. I don't have anybody. I don't have any. Ooh. So anybody out there listening, if you want to get in touch and help Boston <laughs> yeah. out a little bit, <laughs> seriously. If anybody out there is in Norway. Just get them into a trout. A grayling. Knows something about the fishing. That's what I'd want. That's right. You're right? Because we have no grayling in uh, central PA. Get me into a grayling in Norway, please. Yes. The invitation, uh, well... I don't have an invitation. I'll accept an invitation if one exists. <laughs> Isn't that cool? <laughs> it might happen. Yeah. All right. So, hey, we should dig in because that's what we do in this do skills series. It's not as loose. So tighten up. You ready? I'm ready. <laughs> skills series. No goofing around. It's all about data. Data entry. You ready? Ready everything, to go. everything you know about winter fishing by the end of this <laughs> seriously we're gonna do eight episodes on winter fishing and by the end of this we'll have oh at least four more like five hours maybe five to six hours of uh i don't know good advice i think for uh winter how you know how to take your fly fishing game into the winter yeah no it's gonna be good i'm excited so let's talk really a little bit more about what this season holds uh, fly fishing in the winter that's our topic there will be eight episodes this season, and here's the lineup. Let me run down each, uh, each episode. Yes, I kind of have it mapped out. Uh, the first one is the system or the plan, which is what we're calling this one. This is an overview. What we're about to talk about is an overview about where to fish, uh, where to find trout, and really what to expect out there. Um, and then episode two is, believe it or not, all about your hands. That's it. <laughs> We're going to do a full podcast on the most important thing, which is to keep your hands warm and functional. We're going to talk about why. And trust me, there is a lot here about keeping your hands warm and, you know, useful. Uh, episode three will be head, shoulders, knees, and toes because your mom told you to layer up, right? <laughs> but there's, there's really a lot more to it. Um, nymphing in the winter, uh, streamer fishing in the winter, Drive flies, midges, emergers, and more is its own episode. Uh, winter problems and then winter solutions, which there are a lot of problems. There are a lot of tough things that we encounter. We could probably do two hours on that topic. And then we'll have the roundtable review, which we do at the end of every skills series uh, season with the other guys coming in and saying, hey, you guys forgot about this. <laughs> hey, we do yeah. it differently. We do it that way. So those are the, the titles or the topics for these eight episodes in this winter skill series. Uh, now, if you're a trout bitten regular, then you might very well recognize that many of these podcast topics are from a series that I published on the Trout Bitten website. The Fly Fishing in the Winter series on Trout Bitten is an ongoing collection of articles that digs in and gets technical about what is required to take our favorite pastime into the coldest months of the year to keep catching trout and enjoying the experience, uh, sometimes even better than all other times of the year. And really, that's where I am, Austin, to be honest. I mean, winter has become my favorite season of the year to be out there. Mm. And actually, I wish there was more snow on the ground and it was a little bit colder right now. Are you with me or against me on that? 
No, I am with you. You know, uh, just like you, I really love the four full seasons we experience in Pennsylvania. Yeah. And when it's wintertime, like I want it to be cold. Yeah. And I like to suffer a little bit. <laughs> you know, I like that challenge of, of making it through the day and overcoming the obstacles and the, mm. the difficulties of, of fishing in the winter. And I kind of rely on that as a quarter of my uh, fishing season to keep me sharp in those aspects. Mm. That's one of the things right there. You enjoy the, the suffering a little bit. I always say like something's going to hurt. Yeah, so, it is. And if you're a winter fisherman, we should say right away, what we're talking about is not 50 degrees. No. 40 right. degrees is like a warm winter day. We, we yeah, will fish warm. when it's 10 degrees. I fished when, when it was single digits out. Yes. And yes, you can do that on a fly rod. And all the stuff we're going to talk about in this yeah. series will, will help you do that. And so we're talking, I don't know, around here, average 20, 25, 30, 35 degrees. You know, is that fair? Yeah, that's absolutely fair. You know, you and I were out, what, last week? About a week ago, yeah. We ran into a warm patch of weather here. Yeah. And it was, you know, mid-40s, 50s with a light jacket on, and it just Mm -hmm. doesn't feel right. It didn't. And I I was taking layers off, and I was like down to my base layer. I'm like, this is silly. Yeah. Yeah, I like like it. cold. Like you. If it's winter, give me winter. If it's spring, give me spring, and so on. I like, I love that we have the four seasons here. And it does. It keeps you sharp because you constantly mm-hmm. have to change. I will say that when you and I were fishing and it was 45 degrees out, fair enough. But just the week before, it was down to like 15 degrees. Right. And for the most part, really, these trout are in the winter rhythms or the habits that we're going to talk about here. Yeah. They still acted like it was wintertime. The air temperature can change week to week. Yeah. And unless, I guess, it warms up to 60 or 70 degrees for a month, these trout are going to, every December, every January, February, March, they're going to act like it's wintertime. That's an excellent point. I really don't think they transition that fast. Right. Um, it, like you said, a month maybe it would take to, to really get their mindset and their behaviors to change. Yeah. One or two warm days is not going to change their no. world. No, no. So they were still in those winter habits, and we approached them that way. Now, the reward for finding a winter fishing system is... Uh, yeah, it can be both high numbers and larger trout. And like you said, the reward just of knowing that you beat the elements, that, that's yeah. a big deal too. Just that Definitely. enjoyment. If you're that type of person, well, like Austin and I are, that, that, that enjoys kind of meeting the challenge and overcoming it, even if you're not catching fish, even if you only come out of the day with two or three fish to hand, you know that you were, you were able to do it. That's a reward in itself. But lots of times, yeah, you can still have high numbers, and often you will catch larger trout. You agree with the, the larger trout point? Uh, I don't know. No? You don't think so? I feel like I my average say, trout is larger in the winter. Uh, I can't say the same. Hmm, fair enough. I, I feel like I experience similar size Mm-hmm. trout yearly <laughs> i don't fair. know unless you're uh you know unless you're saying that the the more larger trout are more active or available to feed on our on our presentations in the wintertime what do you think causes that if yeah. you don't mind me asking yeah yeah if matt was here if matt grobe our buddy matt was here he would say that it's because there's lower there's much less angler pressure so those trout are willing to be out i would say yeah that yeah what would you say i would say it's a lower sun angle cool Less light, um, you know, extended nighttime periods right now. I mean, the sun's, you know, you got less sun than any other time of the year. Yeah. Um, We've passed that winter solstice and yeah, the days are getting a little bit longer, but for the most part, I mean, it's low light conditions. I think that's why, but you know, there's other reasons too. I, I do. I catch the average trout is a little bigger for me in the winter. That's a good reason. You just got to get better at fishing, Austin. Yeah, you're just that much better than me. <laughs> it must be. <laughs> what if Bill was here? Yeah, what would he have a totally different opinion regardless. Yeah, that's true. Anyway, I think the acceptable range for error, let's say, is uh, more narrow. Like what you have to do tactically and with your techniques, I think the trout are less forgiving. I think it's a harder mark to hit, put it that way. Agree. Like in large part, I think that's because the trout simply don't respond as much because the water's colder and they don't move as far. They're often uh, just not as hungry as they are, let's say, in the spring, in the summer, 
in the fall. And, and we'll get to this too, they're just not as spread out. They're not as available in right many different, you know, water types yet. But when we do find that target, and when you do find the formula for the day, you know, the water type and the pattern and the, the level of the level that they're feeding for the day or for the moment, you find that formula, then I say like success flows freely. Mm. And that's where I say some of my, I mean it, some of my highest number days, if I'm fish counting, you know, some of my highest numbers, the most fish that I'll catch in one day often happen in the winter. Cause you can, when you figure it out, often you'll catch pods of fish, just bang, yeah. bang, bang. Right. And if yeah. you want to, quite often, you could stand there and, and, and bang out 10, 12, 14, 15 fish sometimes. No, you can. And I, I have plenty of good memories of yeah. those certain scenarios you get into and you sort of crack the code and you realize, okay, one, they're in this water type or two, they're eating this pattern. Yeah. And if I can combine these two things all day long, you know, I'm going to have really good success. And yeah. the predictability of that is is a little bit more forgiving in the wintertime because, yeah. you know, there's there's less viable options that you're going to be, uh, you know, going after. Right on. I think the word there, predictable, is the key. In the winter, I carry fewer patterns because I know what they're going to eat. And if they don't, then I'm going to be really surprised. And yeah, I have other stuff, but they're going to eat what I think they are. We're going to get to all <laughs> of it. And they're going to be almost for certain in that same water that they were yesterday. And if you do find one of those spots that you were talking about, I bet if you go next week or the week after, or even a month from now, they're going to be in that same spot. Yeah. In the spring, you can't say the same thing. So it's that predictability. Yeah. And it might be a harder code to crack, as you put it, the code. But when you do crack it, again, I think the rewards are there and in numbers of fish and, and for size of fish. Whether it's after a fishing trip or at a backyard fire, you can bet the Trout Bitten crew has a case of new trail broken heels along with us. It's honestly our favorite beer. This hazy IPA is smooth and full-bodied. Hand-selected citra hops lead to notes of bright clementine and juicy ruby red grapefruit. Broken Heels is a keeper. New Trail Beer is proudly brewed in Williamsport, Pennsylvania and delivered cold to your favorite craft beer retailer every week. At New Trail, it's not about being the best angler. It's about getting out there. So enjoy nature's moments and reward yourself for a day well fished with New Trail Broken Heels. It's Trout Bitten's favorite beer. Precision Fly and Tackle is a family-owned business with a passion for the outdoors and a sense of adventure. They are anglers who enjoy every moment spent on the water with family and friends. Precision Fly and Tackle carries the widest selection of Euro rods, reels, lines, leaders, flies, and accessories. From the beginner to the advanced angler, Precision Fly and Tackle can outfit every angler, no matter the budget. Visit them online at precisionflyandtackle.com. Then use code TROUTBITTEN10, that's the number 10, for 10% off your order. Gear up with Precision Fly and Tackle for your next adventure. So you're talking about cracking the code, and I, I like that. I mean, that's yeah. day to day, but and it might be easier in the winter. But let's start with this. Like, where are the trout? That's part of the code. Where are they, right? Yeah. Where they are is is going to depend on your local region and where you're fishing. Mm. If you're fishing a spring creek, you know, a tailwater, maybe a limestoner or a freestoner, you know, all these options you have available to you. Yeah if you have those multitude of options yeah, is going to change your experience out there. You know, temperatures matter. Um, fish behavior changes depending on those temperatures often. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a very open ended question of where <laughs> kinda, are the trout. It kind of is. It's not fair. I feel like when we start talking <laughs> about, <you> right. <laughs> and I've been writing about winter fishing since about 2019. I think I started that series. I, I feel like I'm not be, being fair to people. And that's why I constantly point out to try to be fair they're like hey we are fishing in some of the best uh winter fishing conditions around because yeah. we're fishing these spring creeks and if you have to choose one type of water to fish in the winter go find a spring creek right and, i agree I right agree. right because <laughs> spring creek you know the water comes out of the ground at a fairly constant temperature and it keeps it warm in the winter and relatively cold in the summer yeah 
Absolutely. So like, let's say you go to a stream, regardless of what the uh, water or the, uh, you know, the stream type may be. Mm-hmm. If you take a temp in the wintertime, are you looking for a certain degree range? Like, hey, this is too cold. It's probably gonna be slow or oh, okay, it's, it's just right. Or how much does that matter to you? Oh, it matters a lot. Yeah, right. And we did a full podcast. The guy, you and I and the guys did a full podcast on this in season one. And I'll leave a link in these show notes. Uh, We talked about this and all the guys. What was interesting to me is everybody kind of had a different range of temperatures where they felt, well, most comfortable. Like, oh, I'll have success today because it's 36 and above. Bill was even saying that he's fine on freestone streams. If, you know, it just, if there's no, you know, if it's not iced over, he's like, I'll have a great day. Right. For me. availability to him. Yeah. Right. And I just said 36. For me, to answer your question, 36 and up, I really want it to be 36. Nice. 37. Really, I want it to be 38 and up. In our spring creeks, like I took the temperature uh, yesterday, it's 42 degrees. Um, Yeah. You know, in 38, I was having good success on another one of our rivers at 38. You know, a fish every 10, 15 minutes, something like that. That's a pretty good rate at any time of the year. And Okay, so down to 38, 37, 36 starts to really push it for me. And I will say, I have gone and fished freestone streams and oh, just had really tough conditions. Sometimes caught nothing or just maybe turned a fish or two. When the, mm-hmm. And then I'll take the temperature and it's like 33, 34 yeah. degrees. Right. I've had very similar experiences. It's those days where you think like, there's no fish in this stream. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, you don't even spook anything. You don't right. see one. Yeah. You don't catch one. There's no fish in here. It's tough. It is tough. I do feel like if you lived on one of those rivers, and there is no ice in the water, like Bill was saying, if it's fishable, you know, it's not just slush, <laughs> you can fish it. I bet if you lived beside it and you fished it every day, you'd find the places where those fish are holding and yeah. feeding. I think that's why when I kind of, get out of this Spring Creek region and go into the Freestone stuff, usually north of here, I'm back to kind of exploring and trying to find for like one day, because I went north for one day, trying to find where those fish really are. And then I don't. And then I go, well, they're not feeding because it's 35 degrees. Maybe if I fished it for every day for a week, I'd find those very narrow range, that that 5%, maybe 10% of the water type where they're really feeding. And then yeah. I'd get into a patch of them and I'd catch 10, 12 fish. Right. I think you would because to some degree we do the same thing here. Yes. On certain, you know, some of our streams are, are less yes. Spring Creek influenced and we learn those rhythms. We learn its habits in the wintertime and we kind of capitalize on those. So when you go to a pure freestone mm-hmm. uh, experience, I think the same kind of learning um, curve would exist in those scenarios too. Right on. We should mention to tailwaters. I mean, if you can't find a spring creek, go to a tailwater because obviously yeah, there's more. There's your more consistent temperatures again. Winter time, just like summertime, it does come down to temperature. And if you can find temps, so I'm going to say, you know, the higher the temps in the winter, the better. Almost. Yeah, I don't For think me, there's anything wrong with saying that. Right. I think that's fair. Um. So what about the water type, you know, finding feeding fish within, let's say you have a river that's, you know, going to be in those sort of ideal temperatures for the winter time, where are they feeding, man? So again, another open-ended question mm-hmm. and yeah, another thing you will read about and, uh, you know, watch videos about similar information that if it's winter time, you know, it's got to be small flies, it's got to be low, slow, crawling those flies mm. at the bottom yeah. and, in my experience, at least in this part of the country, it could be almost anything. You know, those yeah. fish could be feeding up three inches below the surface. They could be way down, stuck to the bottom. Yeah. Um, it's really up to us to figure that out and, and to check each level. Yeah, yeah. You told me about a day not too long ago where they were eating your tag fly, which was what? Probably riding, you said, what? How, how high off the bottom? Yeah, the, the tag fly, at least from the surface, was probably only at max six inches in some of those areas no of kidding. water. From the was, surface. They were so spread out. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, especially when I got into some uh, more shallow water types, and yep. they just kept eating it. You know, when I was fishing deeper water and they were eating the tag, mm-hmm. like, yeah, whatever, you know, it's it's 20 inches off the bottom, but this mm. is some pretty deep water. Mm. And then I'd get into those more shallow, uh, you know, medium-sized riffles, and they're still eating the tag. Okay, that's telling me something. Oh, I love that. 
I feel like you only learn that stuff by being out there often. You've, if you go out oh, one, yeah. one or two days this winter, that's, that's okay. That's great. But don't make too many judgments about the way winter mm. fishing is. Because what you're describing, Austin, is, is something that I don't see a lot. I don't see them eating the tag fly all that much in the wintertime. I told you yeah. before we started recording this podcast that I was fishing with Trevor, and Trevor was getting a good egg bite, and every fish that, that was hitting, and they were hitting frequently, was down in the strike zone. It would be drop, 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 strike zone, and then eat. It was almost predictable if you got nice. in that right water type, too. It was fun to watch. Trevor was on it. And that's what I expect in the winter in that kind of zone, in that strike zone, which is, let's say he was six or eight inches off the bottom. That's where his egg was. What you're talking about, I think is unusual where they were eating your tag, but you figured it out right. for that day. That's where, who knows why? Almost who cares why? Yeah, there was, exactly. Dude, was there any bug activity? Was it happening? No. Was there a hatch? Right? No, there's right? no hatch. That's what people want to do is correlate. No good well, reason. Right. There was no good reason. Well, there was a midge hatch. Well, there was an olive hatch, which is the only two things that could really have been happening, maybe. Yeah. But was there? No. So who knows why, but if that's what the fish want to do, like you figured it out for that day, and then you started focusing. That's what you told me. You started focusing yeah, on it. Absolutely. Like, okay. If that's what they're going to eat, that's what I'm doing. Right. And I'm not saying necessarily like, to get hung up on the fact that maybe they're eating the tag today. You know, it's yeah. not a bad idea to think, okay, the majority of my fishing trips, you know, this may be an outlier, yeah. but the majority of my fishing trips, I found best success on the bottom, which yeah. is a fair statement, Yeah, but also not neglecting the chances to give the trout to say, hey, I'm also going to eat here. So, yeah, right on. you know, don't, don't get hung up on making sure that you've picked apart every single piece of every option ever, you know, you can maximize those best options and then also, you know, give the trout a, a chance to tell you something different. Nice. Yeah. I just love staying open-minded to the day and what's going to yeah. happen. Honestly, I used to go out there years ago, I don't know, a decade ago, I was probably still going out there and, and trying to force feed the trout what they ate yesterday. Nice. And, and now right. one of my favorite things to do is just go out there, stay open-minded, and okay, maybe tomorrow, and I'm going out tomorrow morning, maybe they'll eat the tag. And so I will. I'll put a tag on. I'm going to say they probably won't, so I'm not going to spend more than 20 or 30 minutes on it. I might come yeah. back to it if my action's slow, but if I'm going to run a second fly, I might keep it down low, you know, and getting into that strike zone. And eh, We're going to talk more about that when we get to the nymphing podcast. But That's good stuff. And I do think, I mean, obviously, your tactics factor into all of this as well. Like, where are you going to find the feeding fish? Well, how are you going to approach them? Maybe you don't want to try to figure out, are they eating the streamers? Or are they eating nymphs today? Can I find a dry fly hatch? Uh, maybe you want to, maybe you really do want to say, all right, I'm going out there. I just bought these eggs at the fly shop. <laughs> you <laughs> yeah. know, these, these new right. eggs or these sucker spawn or whatever, whatever your pattern is. Yep. I just bought these patterns. I'm going to fish that. Well, great. And like I said, that's what I used to do is kind of go force feed them. But your tactics then are going to factor into that as well. And if you are using that nymphing approach, you know, are you going to fish the pools? Are you going to fish the flats, the glides, the pocket water, the riffles, and the runs? Are you going to fish the whole river? Or are you going to fish just parts of those rivers? Are you going to ignore some of the stuff, you know, that doesn't suit your tactic better? Right, right. That's a really great question. And again, I think I would find a similar answer. And yeah. for me personally, so I'm not going to have, based on my historical data, overwhelming success in the hardest, fastest runs in, in dead of winter. Agreed. I may have good success in the tailouts of those runs where they you know, dump into a pool or a riffle or what have you, but I'm not going to focus a lot of attention in those areas. Yeah. And I'm going to focus my attention in some of those transitional areas in the, in the wintertime especially, where it's going from a, a riffle into a run and then that run into a pool. Um, again, we talked about potting up fish. I think they do that quite a bit and kind of hold steady. And when yeah. you run into those pods, um, you, again, another part of cracking that code. But it's not that I'm not going to try to fish those areas. I will, but it's probably not going to be exhausted. Like you kind of said, 20 minutes yeah. on this tactic or that. If they're not eating it, I'm going to have a decent idea. I'll probably mm -hmm. move on. Yeah, yeah. I fish pools and flats and glides. Let's say all that slower stuff more in the winter than I do any other time of the year. 
the other times of the year when I really focus on the pools, the flats, the glides is when they're eating dries. And I love, you know, nice. I love catching fish out. I mean, it, we all do. Everybody yeah. loves targeting dry fly activity in that slower water. I also fish dries in fast water when they're rising there too. Yep. But in the winter, yeah, I'll, I'll kind of settle down. If I find a pod of fish that's working, that's when I, yeah, I'll slow it down. And we're going to talk about all of that a little bit more. Hey, what about time of day? You know, we touched on this in yep. that uh, winter fly fishing tactics podcast back in way back in season one with all the guys. You out there at dawn or are you out there at noon? Yeah. So my answer remains the same. If yeah. you're able to go out at dawn, get out there at dawn. Yeah. Um, a lot of the fly shops or a lot of the uh, websites you read will tell you, hey, go out once the the water warms up, those trout love it, and you know, then they'll start feeding. <laughs> yeah. I don't know really where that came from. No. I've never found that to help me out much. Um, regardless, I think, for me at least, I still love being out at dawn, and it continues to be one of the more predictable times of the day, regardless mm-hmm. that it's wintertime. I'm with you. And here's just one example. Trevor and I met on Saturday morning. He was at my house way before dawn, and we were making our first cast. I'm going to say... You know, in that twilight before dawn. Nice. And, you know, I went downstream. Trevor went upstream. I fished streamers. I had about four fish in the first 45 minutes, and I was feeling pretty good about myself. <laughs> and, and then I finally caught up to Trevor, who was fishing pretty fast upstream. And uh, I kind of caught up to him, but he doubled back, and he comes up to the side of the stream, and he said, how's it going? I said, not bad, like four, and I missed two other ones on the streamer. How about you? He goes, I caught 15. Hey now. Hey now. He, he was kind of surprised by it too, though. I mean, that's a lot in 45 yeah, minutes. That's you caught good. 15 stream. I don't care what time of the year it is, but especially right. especially for the winter. Um, when fairly, and we should point this out, I, I think it's fair to say that our expectations for numbers are a little lower, a little lower in the winter, even on the yeah. best days. Yeah. Um, anyway, 15. I'm like, whoa, there you go. We're like, what are you doing, bud? Then <laughs> he told me what he's doing and whatever. And we'll, we'll talk about that some other time. Yeah. But the point is it was dawn. I mean, it was just an hour after daylight by the time we were talking about, Hey, how many did you catch? And that honestly, so we fished until about one thirty, I think it was, that was the best fishing of the day. There is just no doubt cool. about it. And he, he continued to use the same tactic. And then he added, you know, a trailer. He added a tag above. We were fishing different water types. We we continued to try to adjust to the trout. Both of us did. Yeah. But there was no equaling the action that he had right after dawn. Yeah. For over a decade, Smith Creek has provided innovative, high-quality fly fishing accessories designed to put your gear in easy reach, free up your hands, and keep our waters clean. For 2023, check out the all-new patented tippet holder, Each unit is individually machined from billet aluminum and anodized in two eye-catching colors. They hold up to five tippet spools with a spring-loaded plunger that is quick and easy to use, keeping your tippet spools right where you need them. Also, the brand new Rod Clip Plus comes with an improved 304 steel pin, plus a carabiner clip, giving you two ways to attach it. All Smith Creek products are built guide tough and backed by solid customer service. To learn more about Smith Creek products, visit their website at smithcreek.co. Tactical Fly Fisher was founded by Fly Fishing Team USA angler, Devin Olson, to bring anglers cutting edge gear and techniques from the international competitive fly fishing scene. Tactical Fly Fisher's aim is to help you improve your angling ability so you can have more fun on the water. Whether you need some flies, fly tying equipment, or a new rod or reel, they've got you covered. Head on over to tacticalflyfisher.com and use the code TBPOD10, that's T-B-P-O-D-1-0, to get 10% off flies, fly tying supplies, or terminal tackle. All right, so let's say, like you just said, you and Trevor out the other day. Yeah. Maybe maybe the pace that we fish, mm-hmm. you know, let's say... We covered a lot of water. Okay. So, you know, a common misconception can kind of be, you know, people think that, you stand in one spot all day, and yeah. that's where the best fishing is. You, right, right. you stand in that soft glide or or whatever it may be, and you get those flies low and slow, and yeah. you just kind of hope that it works. Yeah. Would you say that's how we fish? Or <laughs> no. How, how do we no. approach it? No. I mean, when I find that pocket of feeding fish, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to slow down. 
And sometimes I'll slow down so much. And if it's a 15 degree day, I'm getting cold. And I'm like, man, I got to move again. But it's been oh, an yeah. hour and I've been banging fish for an hour. But no, it's a hard life. <laughs> yeah, it's rough. <laughs> it's rough out there. But we grind it. We grind it. We grind it. You ain't grind it. Anyway, that is not how we fish. We really don't just go, you know, hop over the guardrail, get in that one spot and fish it for five hours. No thanks. No thank you. You know, personally, I build a lot of movement into my winter fishing uh, for a few different reasons, really, so I can cover water uh, to, to figure out where the fish are feeding. Because where I think they might be feeding or where they were feeding yesterday might be different today. They might be eating your tag like you were talking about. They might be eating in a little bit faster water than they were yesterday. I'll cover water, honestly, so I can stay warm. If it is 12 degrees outside, oh my gosh, that's hard. I don't care how good your layering is. And all the stuff we're going to talk about in episodes uh, two and three of this podcast, I don't care how good that is. You need to move to generate some body heat so those layers that you're wearing can hold in that, that body heat that you just generated. <laughs> eventually, you know, right? It eventually gets lost and you need to generate new heat. And yep. so that's another reason I'll, I'll move. I move, yep. I move and I fish and I move and I fish. And especially like, you know, you and I, are, we're not afraid to wade deep. So oftentimes we're, you know, up to our waist or over yep. it in some of the bigger waters. And when we get into that sort of depth, it's even more prone to suck the heat right out of your body. Mm. So it is essential to just keep moving upstream. And, you know, it's fun to do that too. We get to see more water. We get to experience mm. more wildlife. It's just right a, it's a good way to fish in the wintertime. Yeah. And one of the things we didn't even touch on yet is just the, the solitude. Yeah. Good point. It's pretty much yours out there. And I don't care how much more popular winter fishing gets. It's still going to be pretty much yours out there. Most people will not battle through the the uncomfortable feelings <laughs> of, yeah. of being out there and right. really the difficulty of fishing that it can be um to be out there so it's yours and yeah. quite often especially if you pick some water that's sort of off the beaten path it's all yours so wait upstream or get out of the river and like you say go see that next piece of water because it's pretty it's just pretty yeah. you know i love yeah. it and not to say, you know, when it's 50 degrees out in the middle of the wintertime, yeah, you may different. have some other people to deal that's with. That's different. not what we're talking about. No. We're talking about 30 degrees and below. Mm-hmm. We're talking about eight degrees outside. Yeah. You're not going to have people to compete with. Right on. When I'm guiding and I start talking to people about winter fishing, they'll say, well, hey, yeah, yeah I do that sometimes. They'll say, my cutoff is 30 degrees. My cutoff is 32 yeah. degrees. Or people will say, my cutoff's 40 degrees. Everybody has, has these cutoffs. And it is mm-hmm. clear as day. I've mentioned before on this podcast that almost every day I, right. I, I go beside one of the most popular pieces of water probably in the state. And yeah, I, man. I, I can almost predict how many cars I'm going to see in that three-mile stretch on a, yeah. on a 50-degree day in January or on a 15-degree day in January. Right. It's going to be 10 cars or it's going to be zero cars, maybe one. Yeah. It's funny to hear you even mention like – a cutoff or mental cutoff in somebody's head because I've never really thought that way. I never considered like, oh, it's eight degrees, so mm. fishing's off the table today. It's like, oh, it's eight degrees. Let's see how fishing's going to go. Yeah, right on. Same, same. <laughs> What's the lowest you ever fished in? Probably five. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I've gone zero or, or less than. No, no. Grobe has, and in, in our right, he has no choice. <laughs> he's talking about in Montana like that. Yeah. Um, we don't have that around here. The lowest I ever fished in was three degrees to start, five degrees to, to finish. And, uh, that's, I'll, that's a long day right there. I caught like, I caught seven fish. I could, I did keep count. I caught seven cool fish. You know. It was noon. I picked the wrong water. That was dumb. What looking back, <laughs> the water that I fished was down in a Canyon and it was a windy day. In addition to being three oh, degrees, brutal. yet the sun was out. Um, strange, strange conditions. Oof. I picked up seven fish and I got out of there because I'm telling you, it was still five degrees when I got, I'm talking about like yeah. what it showed on my truck, when, you know, that thermometer. And I was like, whoa, that is cold. <laughs> it was, it was brutal in a good way though. Like you say, like I, yeah, I, I, what I'm telling stories about it now, man. Cause it's, it's right. a memory. We love that. You could have caught more if you wanted to. If I wanted to, I could have caught 70 trout. If, if you really wanted to. If I, I, I held back. 
He held back. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, you're joking. (laughs) All right. Hey, let's go through this a little bit. You know, we're going to get into full podcasts about this, but this today, this is the overview, right? Nymphing is my first option. I don't mean I always start with nymphs. Sometimes, like the other day, I start when Trevor and I were fishing, I started with streamers. You know why? Because when we were talking about it the other day, Bill was like, I almost always start with streamers, you know, when it's that early. I think you said the same thing. So that was in my head, and I'm like, I've been starting with streamers lately. And so when I say nymphing as a first option, what I really mean is I assume it's going to be the best option. If I'm into this for catching trout, I assume that nymphs are going to be our best option. However, (laughs) right off the bat here, like when you and I fished a week ago, what was the best? Streamer. Right. Right. And we kept trying to prove it wrong. Like I kept going back to nymphs. You went (laughs) to nymphs. And then we're like, "Ah, streamers, man, they're eating streamers. Between the two of us, one of us was always on streamers, it seemed. And that's what they were eating. And like they, it's hard to argue with them. That's what they're eating. So you never know. But nymphing is a first option. Like I often say that the nymph angler is sustainable. I wrote an article with that title Mm. like many years ago, Uh, meaning that having a good, I don't know, nymph, having good nymphing skills allows you to fish for trout in almost any situation, really any situation. And that's our winner approach too, right? Yeah, it absolutely is. I mean, again, it comes down to that factor of predictability. Um, Fish are not, if you're looking at for a general overview, they're not looking to travel very far. They're not looking to exert yeah. a lot of energy. Yeah. They're really focused on holding their lie, consuming the food that comes down the pipeline, and uh, just kind of holding tight. Now, again, there's those days where there's outliers and they're doing all sorts of funny things. But if we're looking for general rules of thumb, that's a pretty safe place to start with an infrig. Yeah, 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 for sure. And then I mix in streamers just to cover more water. Um, yeah, keep moving. Right, and build up some body heat. Right, yep. to stay warm and really to have fun too, because streamers just, and it might get you more action like it did for us the other day. You, yep. you just, you just never know. And so I'm certainly not going to prospect with dry flies. I'm really not. I'm, Me I'm, neither. By prospect, I mean, I'm not just throwing a, you know, a number 18 parachute atoms on that, on there <laughs> and seeing if they'll eat it. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Let us know how you do. Yeah. Let us know how that, <laughs> that goes for you by the end of this winter season. Yeah. And whew, that would be tough for us in, in our experience. Uh, but really, I am looking for those dry fly opportunities. And when we get to the uh, dry fly and the midge and the emergers mm-hmm. podcast, well, we're going to talk about that. That is absolutely an option. But boy, that's something I'm looking for. And that's not my baseline. The nymphs, for me, are my baseline. And I kind of center my winter fishing around that. That's home base, you know? Yeah. So, you know, we're talking about nymphs here. Maybe talk about the selection of nymphs. We read a lot about, okay, flies, if you're going to be fishing in the winter, you're going to be looking at really small stuff, you know, midges, really small crest bugs. (laughs) Got to be small. What you know? What's your take on that? <laughs> well, I, you brought it up earlier about water types and regions, and and so yeah. what we talk about. Like I said, sometimes I know that what we talk about isn't completely fair. We're saying what works around here, but you and I too have have fished plenty in the winter in plenty of different regions and places. So I think it holds true, and we have buddies and friends that that fish in places where they tell you, "Hey, it's winter time, fish." pair of 22 midges and that's yep. all that's all they're going to eat and that's just not the case you know all the time um small tiny flies and midges and olives uh, not always but i fish an egg we're going to get into this more in the nymphing podcast right mm-hmm. i fish an egg sort of as my primary fly that could be various colors i fish stone flies i'll fish attractor flies and i'm gonna say this like this is a big deal to me color color in the winter time right on Right. I, I think for me, what I believe is that there's something that motivates them to move just a little bit more, or it just motivates them to move a couple inches. Maybe they're not hungry. I always say, are they hungry? Are they curious? Are they nobody home? Nobody hungry. Right. Nobody <laughs> home, nobody hungry. Right. Yeah. These are more yeah, article yeah. titles, but I'm always thinking these things when I'm out there. Um, for some reason, 
I feel like if I give them some kind of color, sometimes that color is actually pure white. Okay. Like a pure white worm or a pink worm or an yeah. orange egg, a yellow egg. It could be something bigger like a stone fly that seems to motivate them. Maybe right that's on. a 10 or a 12 or an 8 or even a 6. Maybe it's a small bugger that I'm nymphing, I'm saying, that you know has some serious flash on it. Um, maybe it's even a small Crelex minnow that I'm kind of nymphing or hopping down on the bottom. Those kinds nice. of things, those bigger food forms uh, with color, I'm saying, seems to motivate them. That's what I'm kind of looking for. Okay. That often will be my main fly. And then uh, maybe I have a secondary fly that's more natural along with it. All right. So let's say your uh, primary selections that day are are color-based in the winter. Mm, yeah. Are you also thinking about hatch, you know, uh, a hatch-based nymph yeah. uh, that you might be fishing also with that? Or are you mostly more thinking about color or size before that? Yeah, color and size mostly. But I'm okay. also not going to ignore hatches. And I think the reason people tell you, hey, you got to fish a midge in the winter, they'll say, hey, that's the only thing that's hatching. Well, okay. It might mm. be the only thing that's in the air occasionally, day to day, those midges you'll find in the air. Great. That doesn't mean that's the only thing that trout are eating underneath. Just because the midges are, let's say, most active in the river system, it doesn't mean that's all they're eating. In yeah. our rivers, you have crest bogs and scuds and stoneflies, which don't ever forget, they're on a two-year life cycle, so there's all right kinds on. of, there's every size of stonefly down there. And then there's still leftover eggs in the system. There's a lot for them to eat down there. Again, those crest yeah. bugs can be size yeah. 10s. There's a lot of great variety point. down there. There's a lot of size down there. It isn't just midges that they're eating. And I haven't done it in the winter, but I assume if you'd pump their stomach and use a pump that actually has a wide enough hole to actually yeah. get a big right size on. 10 crest bug in there or a stonefly, you'd see. What, the, what is in their stomach is not just midges. I think really the only way you could do that was be, would be catch a trout, kill it, open up its stomach, and see what it's really eating. We should acknowledge that. Really pumping fish, if anybody, if people know what that is. <laughs> yeah. um, you got to realize what can fit in that little tube opening. Just because all you get is size 16s, 18s, and, and, and 20s and smaller doesn't mean that's all they're eating. Do you think a stonefly can fit in that fish pump? That is a, you know, actually, I've never really even considered that point before. Yeah. Um, one, yeah, probably that big stonefly can't get through it. Imagine if it's not going through head first, even if the body yeah. hits it going yeah. uh, perpendicular. If any larger insect hits it going perpendicular, it's not going to yeah. get it sucked up into those pumps. So, yeah, that's a valuable point to make. Yeah, I've said before, I mean, I, I grew up killing almost everything we caught. We always yeah. cut open the stomachs and there were always... Huh, a variety of things in there. There's, I think it's rare too when fish seem to just be feeding on one thing, especially if it's just real small. And we're kind of getting down into the weeds a little more than we probably should do right now. <laughs> yeah. All right. And we talked about nymphs there. So let's move into other food forms. Yeah. I really love to fish streamers in the morning, first light, at dawn, in the winter. Not because it's going to be the best option necessarily off the bat all day long like we just mentioned our our nymphs are probably going to be our best option but because that's the time of the day when that streamer is going to be in my best favor mm. and you know i really love to fish that streamer and in the morning i find best success on it if i can get a half hour in of good action i'm going to get it and then i'll switch mm -hmm. over to nymphs you know how do you feel about that yeah less sun Right? I mean, that's what... Yeah, it really does come down to that, doesn't it? <laughs> when we did the uh, Fighting the Elements podcast, I said, uh, a couple of you guys agreed that sun is the hardest element to deal with. I feel like especially brown trout just go, yeah. too much sun. Ah, I'm not eating, you know. And so, yeah, in the wintertime, you know, high sun, uh, well, it never gets too high, but it can get very bright, right? Right. And especially if there's snow on the ground. Ah, there's a lot of light midday. I'm with you. How do you fish a streamer? Is it low and slow? Do you just dead drift the streamers? Again, it's not like this one approach is going to be the best. But sure, if sure. I'm going to go into a day of fishing, I'm gonna I'm not going to dead drift them necessarily. Me I'm going to get them on the bottom, uh, at least close to the bottom. I might even fish shallow bank water. Yeah. Um, 
But really my approach is to fish them at a slower pace, but just kind of not necessarily jig, but pulse them. Mm. So that they're always got some sort of action in them and they kind of die and they come back to life, nice. but they're not going up and down, up and down on the drop. Mm. Um, mm. They're more or less traveling in a, in a linear plane, but mm. uh, just kind of pulse throughout that. That's my best uh, streamer approach in the wintertime for me. That's nice. So you kind of go against the grain for what is popular right now. Everybody's Probably. Talking about, right, yeah. seriously. Everybody's talking about jigging streamers. I think it's a great thing up and down, up and down. And yet, like you're talking about, and I've seen you do it. I've seen a streamer that is not going up and down, but it's mostly holding its plane or holding its zone there in the water column uh, gets eaten more. Anyway, we are absolutely going to dig into that real deep, you know, in a few episodes from now. So that's streamers. You know, we're going to get to that uh, in more depth. And then let's just say briefly what dry fly opportunities we kind of expect in the uh, in the winter time, like for me, fishing these spring creeks, there are springs that literally come off of the bank or out of. It's usually off of the bank. You can see them, and you can still see green plants. You know, uh, right there on the bank, signaling like, "Hey, here's some warmer water." Yeah. By now, fishing all these local streams, I kind of know where they are, and I'm gonna say around eleven o'clock. Not every day, but on many days, you're going to have a nice midge hatch. And by nice, I mean pretty significant. That's cool. And I'm not the only one who knows it. The trout know it. You know, they know it better than <laughs> I do. The trout. I will say, too, it's a 10-inch trout that knows it. It's, <laughs> it's not, the, you know what I mean? It's yeah. not the 20-inch trout that, well, he knows it. He doesn't care is what I'm saying. Yeah. I don't catch large trout in the winter on dry flies, usually. But what I do catch, you know, on dry flies, I feel like, ooh, that was fun. It's January 30th, yeah. and I just caught a fish on a dry fly. Like I, get, cool. I, I get excited about that. I get excited about late winter opportunities when the olive hatch starts. And we have friends, you know, from all over the country, and I know there are plenty of places south of here. You know, you, you go Virginia, North Carolina, yep. South Carolina, yep. even especially Georgia. You know, some right of those on. tailwaters especially – they have olive hatches all the time. They do. You know, so go get them. And when you, you can kind of plan your day around that. Hey, I'll nymph in the morning or maybe streamer fish in the early morning. And then I'll nymph until the olive hatch starts. And then I know that they're going to be, you know, the trout are going to be kind of looking up through the mid column. And so I'll, you know, I'll put my tag fly or maybe both flies in the middle of the column with a nymph. And then when I start to see rises, there I am, I'm going to change my leader and and meet the trout on their own terms up top, yeah. fishing to those risers, and who knows what happens after. But, I mean, that's fun. You know, it, none it of us. Fun. I don't know anybody who just ignores dry flies. Give me a dry fly chance, dry fly opportunity, and I'm going to meet it. Get them to eat it. Yep. That's the challenge. Yep. Unless you're dead set on uh, learning one aspect like yourself. What was it? Didn't you say you used to be the yeah. guy who nymphed through the dry fly hatch because you were oh, yeah. learning how to nymph, right? For sure. Unless you're in that sort of learning mode, mm-hmm. it's hard to uh, deny that temptation. Yeah. I think that's fair, too. Again, I almost feel like it's unfair when I tell people, like, hey, you got to be super versatile. You got to meet the trout mm. on their own terms. Well, but again, I, I spent five years just tight line nymphing at close range. I didn't yeah. even expand the range until I really met Pat and started to see what he could do with Really, he expanded the range by putting an indie on. We've talked That's about cool. this. And then a streamer fish for a full year. And you, you've done that. I know you've gone yeah. through spells yeah. where you're just, like you said, learning one yep. thing. Yep. It's really fun. Yeah, it is fun. Once you learn it, well, now you have it. And it's like riding a bike. You get right back on it, and you, you can do it at any moment. And it's yours. Those tactics are yours. And then you can truly be versatile. Anyway, didn't we have a full uh, podcast on versatility, right? I believe we do. I say that a lot now, don't I? Yeah. We have a full it's, uh, podcast It's become on a that. theme, hasn't it? It has. Yeah. That was the objective, though. That's the... That's, by the time I die, there will be... jeez. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> You'll have an orange link to click on for every question you have. <laughs> for everything. Well, yeah. the goal from the beginning, remember, was to leave everything I knew about fishing for my boys. 
Yeah, it's fantastic. They were super young, at, you know, when, in 2014 right. when I started this. But now the goal is not just for the boys, but for anybody who wants to listen, for anybody who wants to watch the videos, for anybody who wants to read the articles. There's some information on Troutbitten out there about what yeah. we're talking about. I like and, it. And that's the purest goal you could have. It's not, not necessarily self-motivated. It's, hey, what can I you know, share. So no, that's true. That's but, you know, in, in fairness too, I mean, this is what my career is now. So I, you yeah. know, I make money, there's revenue coming in from it all. And I always sincerely appreciate that support because it allows me to create the next thing. It allows us to do what we're doing right here. Anyway, yeah. how'd we get off, yeah. get off I on don't that tangent? It's, it's all your fault. Let's talk about <laughs> problems in the winter time. <laughs> problems? Know. Yeah. You know, how about things like winter fishing's easy. No, it's easy. <laughs> Winter fishing's easy. That's why everybody well, does well, it. Well, it's easy for me. It's not so easy for you. So I was going <laughs> to, you know, address this. How uh, about you know we got uh, ice in our guides? It's hard to park in areas that are covered in snow piles, dude. That's you know, true. Try to walking through two foot of snow. You sweat mm. to death on your way in. <laughs> there are some inconveniences going on here. There are. What you said about the snow piles? Um, yeah. I was on well, one of our favorite rivers, and I went up to the kind of the top end and I kept driving I kept driving because the river's kind of right along the road I kept yep. driving I'm like man that is I can't even park at this access next right. access I can't even park it's like the plow had pushed all the snow off of the road and right they into know the where access the pull-offs area. are that's where they put the snow <laughs> right and every pull-off except one and I passed that one up I'm like maybe I'll come back to that when I got to the I got <laughs> to the top end and I'm like man oh oh wow oh that's plowed out and so I just parked in it. I didn't even think about it. I just parked in it. It's actually right against the state game land sign. So I got okay. out. I put my waders on. I go upstream. I fish. I'm in state game lands. I'm good. I get back. And there's a nasty note on my, on my windshield saying, I didn't plow this out so you could park here. And, no kidding. You know, and, and on and on. It wasn't nice. It was like two or three paragraphs saying I shouldn't oh have parked there. And I'm rude and inconsiderate. and Handwritten note. Oh, yeah, it was handwritten and on my windshield. Oh, and like I say, a few paragraphs telling me just, I mean, it was overboard. It really was overboard. Go ahead and make your point. <laughs> like, please don't park here again. And I didn't plow this out for you. But I, I know where it came from. And I know that that person gets their mail from that spot that's right beside the pull-off. Okay. However, I also know that the pull-off is on state game land. And if you chose to plow out state game land property, <laughs> I might park on it. The state says, thank you. <laughs> yeah. And quite honestly, you can get into your mailbox, turn around just fine because I pulled all the way back. There was plenty of room. There were 50 feet that he plowed out. Why am I even talking about this? How do we know. keep getting off on these tangents? I don't know. I think you just needed to convince yourself you didn't do anything wrong. I needed to release that. Right? <laughs> I wanted to oh, go leave gone. a note on the guy's front door and say, or just knock on it and go, look, like, don't be mean. Like, let's get along. Let's be friends. It's not how we do things here. <laughs> Let's be friends. You plow it yeah, out for me. You plow it out. <laughs> See how this works? Works real yeah. good. So those, those, for example, are a few. That's a problem, hey, right? That's why I started talking about Those are problems, it. but they're also reasons people just don't go out in the wintertime. Yeah, 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 you know, yeah. They, there's a lot of reasons people don't, probably don't go out in the wintertime. One, yeah. I think, is this belief that the, the fishing slows down like to – in a non-existent rate once yeah. the, the temperatures yeah. drop. Yeah, yeah. People don't know you can have success. No, I have a lot of friends who casually fish or, um, you know, fish in the spring, and I'll tell me, oh, I fish all year round. Can you catch fish in the wintertime? <laughs> right. Yeah, it's, yeah, you can catch it, you know, you can catch fish. Sometimes it's the best fishing of the year. Yeah. And, you know, no. each time I get this shocked reaction. Um, but again, if, if, if the gumption or the, the will to try mm. isn't there, you're just not going to find out. No, I mean, you got to have the right approach. Um, you also have to adjust those expectations. Like we said, I I don't expect to catch as many in the winter as I do in the fall, summer, or spring. And yep. although I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised many times that, wow, I just had the best day of the year on this January 30th day, whatever. Yeah. They also don't adjust, I don't think, to the conditions. You have to adjust. Don't expect what worked in July to work in December, in January, in February, early March, it won't. If you're really lucky, I guess it will. But again, go ahead out there with that number 
18 parachute atoms and see what happens. Right. Right. You know? And I get that it's not a comfortable place to be. So Comfort. if, yeah. if you're not, um, some folks just, they're not comfortable with being out there in colder temperatures and that's okay. You know, not everybody can handle, um, eight degrees and, and that's not, that's not a problem. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's not comfortable. It doesn't feel good, no. but it's, it's another, uh, you know, way that folks that stay off the water in the wintertime. Yeah. That's, that's the thing. I mean, it is, it's, it's cold. Something hurts. That's the hardest obstacle nice. out there in the wintertime uh, is the cold. If you're just too cold, then you can't focus on what it takes to catch trout. So you're going to go out there, you're too cold. The whole time you're thinking about how cold you are, and you don't catch fish because you're not fishing. <laughs> uh, yeah. And there's a lot that's been written on how to stay warm. Uh, but we're going to take all of this further by digging a little bit deeper than talking about just wearing the right layers, right? In fact, the next podcast, episode two of this winter fly fishing skill series, is all about your hands. I said that earlier. That's great, right? It's a whole podcast on taking care of your hands in the winter and how to keep them warm and useful in even the coldest temperatures. I mean it, eight degrees. Um, we'll cover what works and what doesn't because there are some things that are uh, more mainstream, I suppose, that I, I often scratch my head. I'm like, that doesn't work. I've tried that. And like, that, that's okay for 40 degrees. It's not okay for 14 degrees. And so we're going to cover a lot of that in the hands podcast and then the head, shoulders, head, shoulders, knees, and toes. Because isn't that a song, Austin? Head, shoulders, knees, and toes. Thank you. Knees I'm going to put that in the outro over. <laughs> you asked. <laughs> you sang it well. I delivered. Hey, so one more thing. One more thing as we wrap this up. I want to do something toward the end of each of these episodes. I'd like to share a few stories about winter fishing. Something remarkable. Something memorable, maybe. Perhaps it's a full day or even a short experience uh, that keeps you going and makes you want to get back out there in the wintertime. You have a collection of these stories. It doesn't have to be long. And we're running a little late here. I suppose it shouldn't be long. Do you have a, <laughs> a quick story for us? Yeah, a quick one. You know, when, when you say that, one pops to mind. And it's not even that anything very significant happened that day. It was just a, a very memorable set of events is actually yeah. when we fished together oh man maybe seven or eight years ago and we traveled up north for a day and mm -hmm. we left at in the dark you know probably 4 a.m and on our way up we encountered some serious snow squalls up over the mountain you know 18 wheelers are pulled off on the side of the highway <laughs> and right we, right you know we made our way over the other side and fished throughout the day and, and you know i call the fishing you know decent to uh wintertime standards and we caught fish uh, throughout heavy heavy snowfalls which was you know one beautiful but two just a, a unique experience to be part of but it got incredibly cold down in you know the mid-teens to single digits yeah. and at the end of the day we got back in your truck and you know your in-laws didn't live too far away and we right thought on. Well, okay let's go stop over and say hello and we drove over to their place and we got out of your truck and we went back to the tailgate and we started taking our waders off and I got my boots off. Okay. I get the waders off and I kind of lay them up on the, uh, the back of the, uh, the tailgate there and I'm starting to put my stuff away and I grab my waders and they're standing on their own two feet. <laughs> it was so cold that the air had frozen yeah. the residual water left on the waders that they were rigid and standing on their yeah. own two neoprene booties, yeah. which was pretty far out. So then we put those back in the truck and, uh, you know, we walked into your in-laws and it was one, incredibly warm, but two, the smell of beef stew filled oh, the house. Yeah. And we sat down, watched the end of a football game, yeah. and ate delicious beef stew. And what a yeah. wonderful end to uh, a beautiful winter day. That's it. I mean, I think the cold, the challenge of the cold makes everything better. It makes that when you are sitting right. down, before you go to sleep, as you're dozing off, you're thinking like, yeah, I earned it. Yeah. Have you ever been sleeping in a tent and it's pouring rain outside? Mm, but yeah. You can hear the rain droplets beating down on the roof of the tent, nice. but you're dry and you're warm and you're safe. Mm -hmm. That's the same feeling, that same satisfaction I get when it's eight degrees, it's 10 mm. degrees outside, and 
I'm catching fish and I'm comfortable and I'm winning <laughs> to some degree. <laughs> I'm winning. <laughs> That's awesome. And then at the end of the day, you do have that, I call it river exhaustion, where you're yeah. sitting in your chair or you're laying down in bed and you're about to fall asleep and you could tell, you're like, oh, these are my last few minutes of the day. And you're thinking <laughs> about those couple fish or maybe you're around at the bend and the sun was just right. Just everything lined up, man. Yep. And I don't care if you caught fish or not. You enjoyed yourself and you're thinking back to that, and but your body is just worn out from yeah. not just walking far and doing all the things that it takes to be a wade fisherman for trout, but you're just tired, pleasantly tired, and you earned it. All right. You can almost feel that current, you know, still mm. beating against you a little bit. I love that. Yeah. All right. There it is, season six, episode one, Winter Fishing. Be back next week. Austin, will you read us out? Yeah, man. So remember, the Troutbitten Project is a free resource for all anglers. The Troutbitten website hosts over 900 articles with endless stories, commentaries, tactics, tips, and more. Find what you like through the top menu and through the search page. Navigate by way of the categories and the tags, too. Be sure to find the Trout Bitten YouTube channel, currently featuring the Trout Bitten Tip Series in collaboration with Wilds Media. These are short, useful, and unique tips for your fly fishing life. Thank you for listening to the Trout Bitten Podcast. Please give the show a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and leave a comment, because it really helps. Until next time, friends, fish hard, enjoy the day, and find your life on the water. wintertime there's no fish in this stream yeah no yes no yeah absolutely no no good reason yeah yeah absolutely right i feel like like we're good at it you know (laughs) head shoulders knees and toes knees and toes head shoulders knees and toes knees and toes head shoulders knees and toes knees and toes head shoulders knees and toes knees and toes